0: welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. I'm your host, Brittany Melton. And
1: I'm your co-host, Laura Munoz.
0: And we are here today with Ariel Frame, a PhD candidate in neuroscience. Ariel, thank you for being here with us today.
2: You're very welcome.
0: So, Ariel, as our former editor and also multi-time attender of GradCast, as both host, obviously, and As speaker we're really really excited to have you and Laura what do you have to say
1: I am super excited and this is a bittersweet episode because this is your last episode as a PhD student so it'll be interesting yeah so with that let's hop
0: in (laughs) so Ariel I'm gonna start us off with just genuinely because you've been on the show a couple of times right and you're and you've said that your research has changed a little bit would you like to start us off with just broadly, what are you doing for your research?
2: Um, yeah, broadly speaking, uh, my work is on aging, brain metabolism, and memory. Those are like the, the main features of my, uh, of my work. And uh, more specifically, the kind of um, studies that I do are, involve uh, genetically manipulated animals uh, so that I can alter their brain metabolism and then age them and test their memory.
1: Yeah, you'll have to walk us through all of that. So we have brains. Brains get older. Uh And when they get older, they get diseases. And you're specifically studying Alzheimer's as far as I understand. Well,
2: interestingly, I mean, this is like coming for a full circle. And for those who are like kind of starting their Ph.D., this is the kind of thing that kind of happens is you start with an idea and then you see where it's going to go and then it doesn't go that way. <laughs> so I, I joined this lab. Uh, I work with uh, Robert Cumming here in the biology department. And uh, I joined with the intention of generating a mouse model that had altered lactate in the brain a metabolite. And uh, and then and then after generating the animal, crossing it to a Alzheimer's model mouse and seeing if the change in that metabolite has an impact on alzheimer's now that was a lo- lofty goal <laughs> it turns out it was just difficult enough to just change the lactate in the mouse in of itself without the alzheimer's model so that became too broad uh, too too big a project to to fit in the time that i was here and i never ended up actually doing the uh the alzheimer's model that i'd originally signed up to do that's okay though because um as my trajectory has changed, my interests have sort of changed too. And I, I, I'm still super intrigued and interested in neurodegenerative disease, um, of all sorts, like Alzheimer's being the most common one. Um, but I'm actually more interested in aging in general. So, um, it's okay that I didn't focus and narrow down on age, on Alzheimer's because, uh, my, my future studies are are probably not going to be just specifically in Alzheimer's anyway
1: okay so you've talked about lactate and aging can you first describe to us what lactate is and then how is it related with aging
2: yes so um, lactate has uh, kind of many many roles uh, but I think the 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 most interesting thing about lactate is that it was kind of um, misunderstood for many years and still isn't quite understood so and in, in the in Biology in general, when people hear the word lactate, they think, "Oh, this is like um, uh, um, uh, something that's produced by cells that are like starving of oxygen, um, and it's like a it's a damaging thing. It's just a waste that you release uh, when you're like a cell that's like kind of dying and, and suffocating, uh, and, and maybe there's some bacteria that will release it as well. So you might hear of lactic acid bacteria, and and that's frequently like, or they'll be like, "Oh, I'm doing a, you got a." Stimulate your microbiome and get your bacteria. You got to get the healthy bacteria, the lactic acid bacteria, and that's because there's certain bacteria that are like are prone to producing lactate. So, so what what are, what are they producing? Why are they producing it? Generally, the like primary, f- you know, function of lactate among the many functions, should I say, is as a metabolite. So it's produced f- when you break down sugars. You, you, you a cell eats sugar, it poops out lactate. That's that that's what tends to happen, but um, there's some cells that have found this fancy way to break down sugars differently. Uh, and those cells will take in the, sh- uh, take in the sugar and break down the sugar farther into a smaller molecules than lactate. So much farther. So it's like, um, you take a piece of wood and you like chop it in half and you're like, okay, now I've like broken the wood and that's like your sugar. Like you have a molecule that's like, um, doesn't matter, but it's made of six carbons. You break it into three, and then you've got you've got two pieces. And you imagine your wood in your mind, two pieces of wood. You broke it in half. Those are your like two lactates that you might produce out of one molecule of sugar. Um, what if you light those two pieces of wood on fire? And then all you produce is like um, carbon dioxide, basically what we breathe out. That's the full oxidation, full breakdown of your sugar. Uh, And that requires mitochondria, which lots of people on the show have talked about over the years and most people know is like an energy producing thing. And what it does is it breaks down uh, many, many things that cells eat. Sugar is like a thing that cells eat all the time. (laughs) So this is like kind of the intermediate. You can break down uh, your sugar halfway into lactate and then you can like further break down the lactate into requiring oxygen into like carbon dioxide and water. So Um, That's the main thing that it is. It's a metabolite um, that's produced as this intermediary between the two steps of of sugar breakdown. Um, But also it has lots of other things that that it does that I could tell you about as well.
0: (laughs) Okay, so lactate then being one of the things that, for lack of better words, the cells poop out. Thank you, Ariel, for giving me that beautiful image. Um, then, and the cells are taking this for energy. I'm really sorry that I'm asking such, I'm sure, a simple question, but I'm really unfamiliar with what's going on here. No, it's perfect. So, cells are taking taking in the sugar, breaking it down, producing lactate, and then what are they doing, though, with what what they're getting from the sugar? Is this energy? Is this, yes, like, yeah, brain I, I, energy? I guess I,
2: I simplified it even maybe too much. So People will frequently be like, oh, you know, your energy is produced. Um, as ATP and that's what I didn't didn't mention and that's just a it's another I mean you got a bunch of organic molecules that all uh, living organisms on this planet are made of Um, and that includes fats lipids proteins people talk about you know gotta get your protein bulk up because your muscles are made of it your muscles are made of protein that's another organic molecule Um, carbohydrates is what I've been referring to as sugars and also nucleic acids is another is another thing and that's what people say when people say DNA they're like, oh it's in your genes your genes. it's all made of that's like with the coding material uh, for all the organisms on this planet it's actually interesting that you know DNA is this molecule this nucleic acid molecule and it's made up of a lot of different types of nucleic acid one of which is ATP <laughs> and so ATP is actually functioning both in the code of your DNA and as an energy molecule. So uh, again, this is, a, this is the kind of thing that you would, this is a, one of the organic molecules that's produced when you break down a sugar in the process of producing lactate and uh, can be used as basically, um, when I say energy for a cell, it's, it's paying for anything a cell does. If a cell makes something, they got to pay for it with ATP. If you want to move somewhere, pay for it with ATP. You want to grow bigger, pay for it with ATP. You want to uh, replicate into like into, into uh, uh, another cell, and you want to make daughter cells. You've got to pay for it with ATP. Anything a cell does costs ATP. In fact, I mean, right now we're moving. Uh, we're animals because we're animated. We move around, so our muscles move. That costs a lot of ATP. Well, what is it? What are the cells individually doing? What they're doing is they're they're taking the muscle cells and then compressing a little springy sort of protein. So it's again inside the cell. You have a protein, and it's kind of springy. And it to to compress that that spring, it takes energy to push the spring closed, and it takes that energy to pull it apart as well. So that's that's what the energy is. You've got a bunch of cells that are like opening and closing a spring, and anything that you do in any organism requires that uh, ATP. I mean, there are other nucleic acids um, similar to ATP that are also used for energy purposes, but that is what I mean when I say uh, energy is produced <laughs> uh, during lactate production
1: now you mentioned that ultimately you are interested on in aging yes so I would like to know how lactate relates with aging
2: so yes I mean this is um this is like an ongoing question at the moment it's like not not quite clear it's something you don't hear about a lot in the aging field um, but you hear but there are certain people who study it closely, and uh, and and those that do think that it might be really, really important. So, the one of the main things I think that um, is most relevant, probably, for aging. And f- keep in mind, I'm not just interested in aging; I'm interested in brain aging because I think that's a really important organ <laughs> for the you know and uh, for any animal to function um, is that second step where, you know, you break down your sugar and you produce lactate and then you go to the second step to get to, to break it down further uh, is involved with the mitochondria and the mitochondria it turns out changes a lot with age. And this is like a, or, or some would, what some would call a, a hallmark of aging. So um, my contention would be mitochondrial changes with age that impact metabolism are going to be intrinsically tied with lactate production and breakdown. And that's because a cell that's choosing not to use their mitochondria, because maybe they're getting rusty. I say rusty tongue in cheek, but literally they produce reactive oxygen species. <laughs> like it's kind of actually rust in, in, in cells. <laughs> so in, in a similar way, it's the same way it's produced on on your, I don't know, kitchen counter wood rust. Your, your, you produce the same in your cells. So as you have these rusty mitochondria getting worse at what they're meant to be doing energy-wise with age, this is something we know regularly happens, and what do you do as a cell? Well, one way is you can adapt and say, "Hey, I'm I'm going to stick to my step one and I'm just going to start producing lactate only instead of going to lactate and then quickly breaking down that intermediate and like not not sticking with the lactate in the middle." So it's kind of got like a stopgap you can choose. Do I stay at lactate Or do I keep going to the mitochondria step? If your mitochondria is not doing so well, then it might be a good idea to stick with your lactate production. I mean, on the the other hand, (laughs) it could be utilization of lactate normally that's actually causing the stress in of itself. It's that normally the mitochondria are eating lactate like by the bucket load, and and that's a problem. So it's always difficult to tell because uh, when you're doing an aging study, if you look at an animal that's really old, and then it dies, and then you check, take out its brain, and you check for something, is the stuff that you see in that brain the result of uh, like damaging things that happened in the brain, you know, producing what you what you saw, or was it the brain working really really hard to overcome what they what what they were dealing with? Like if you if you arrive. At a burning building, and you see a bunch of fire fire trucks, and the building's like burnt down. You go like down. Fire trucks burn buildings down. Well, no, I mean they they they're there because that they were doing their best to make sure that building didn't burn down. You just arrived after the building burned down, and that's when we tend to arrive with uh with brains in aged animals. We, we arrive after they die, especially in humans, because we can't, you know, we can't stop the experiment in the middle. We, we want it to go as far as possible. So it's really difficult for me to say exactly if lactate is a good or a bad thing for aging. It's not clear. It probably, and this is the way the world goes and, you know, invite life advice for everyone who's studying anything of any complication whatsoever. It's not simple and it's probably both.
0: <laughs> Interesting. And so then this is kind of, not necessarily detracting but I'm kind of curious then for you because you're talking about the studies that you're conducting and I know that you obviously you're not looking directly at a human brain like we're not slicing that open in the, in the workshop in the lab so what does a day in the lab look like for you right now what are you what are you cutting open what are you looking at are you cutting things open I don't know tell that, me everything
2: that's a good question um, I don't know if I'm unusual uh, in my habits as a PhD student I imagine there are other PhD students that do have a similar sort of like daily daily schedule as I do. But, um, you know, I have been told by some other, some people that my, my, my techniques I've used are, are quite diverse, like uh, they're very different. So the, the, it, during the, like, if we look back to 2017, uh, I would have, I would have at that time been, you know, getting up, coming to the lab, checking on my flies maybe collecting virgin flies to make sure that they that i can mate them together and generate transgenic flies and then i might walk over to the mouse facility check on my mice and uh, see if any of the breeding pairs that i that i made have any have any breeding you know have any pups left and then i might go to a, go to the lab and do some molecular work to uh extract some protein from a from some brains that I had collected earlier and then and then go home and analyze some data. <laughs> I mean like I mean uh there, who who knows? But like at, at the moment, um most of my days are writing. Like I'm just like at home writing like uh I'm writing a review right now on lactate and aging. So um that's like what my day so my days are so various it's like hard to say. More often than not, I'm um uh, when I'm actually conducting experiments with animals, the like the the, the meat of the work is I f- have a group of animals, be it mice or flies, and I set them up on a a protocol to to measure some sort of memory, and that that will inevitably involve some sort of time period because in any memory task you got to have them learn something and then wait a period of time and then test them to see if they remember the thing that they learned. And that's the kind of paradigms that I do that are like kind of uh, take the most of my time when I'm doing them.
0: (laughs) So are you able to compare, like I'm just out out of curiosity, when we're looking at, so you say mice and flies, and like flies like like a house fly?
2: They are flies that you see in your house, but they are distinguished from what is technically called a house fly, uh, in that they're much smaller. They're they're the ones that people typically call fruit flies, but ecologists and evolutionary biologists would be angry at you calling them that, and would like to call them vinegar flies. Mm-hmm. Um, the species name for those who are interested is called Drosophila melanogaster, uh, and they're the they're the little teeny ones that maybe. Um, if you if they flew in your water you'd be and you you in didn't notice mind. you didn't notice you might be like oh there's like someone put like pepper or spices or something in my and if you looked a bit closer you're like oh man that's like a fly i don't want that so they're like small enough that you wouldn't necessarily see that they're a, an animal but the the big house flies they're like a couple centimeters across or like a centimeter and a half like they're big to the eye those are the house those are the house flies i don't work with them
0: Okay, so then my question is, when you're doing experiments on either either thing, are you able to compare data across like is that something that that you're doing is like looking at these experiments in lactate metabolism in both flies and mice or just like looking at it in mice separately in flies. But But
2: the main thing that ties together, if you're saying, can I compare it? Um, you, You can in the in the sense that you can say, hey, I did something similar in one animal versus the other, and did it have a good or bad effect? But you can't like be like, oh, well, they did um, thirty-three percent better on this task, and then what percent, how how what percentage better did they did on this other task? You can't compare unless it's the same exact task. Like if I, um, I don't know, if I'm doing a matching game where I have to like touch the numbers on a screen in a certain order as they pop up and you see how good I am at that. I mean, non-human primates can do that task also, and I can directly compare because I'm doing exactly the same task. But when I test the flies, I'm te- I'm testing their like their ability to remember having been rejected from another uh, uh, another fly in their court in their courtship. That's not something that me- that mice are, you know, used to doing that that's not a that's not the type of memory i'm testing in in mice in mice i test various types of memory uh the one that i'd like to focus on actually is a test of can they remember um the pattern of the objects in a in a little arena uh in space like so if you're sitting in a room and it's got four walls and all walls are, look a little bit different to you then if you have something sitting right in front of you you can say okay is this object close to the the right wall that's got like a triangle on it or like close to the left wall that's got like stripes on it and you can actually locate in the room you can remember in the room where is this object relative to those walls it's always closer to the right wall and not to the left wall or not not always close to the the triangle wall and not the stripe wall i say right not right and left because it's not relative to you it's relative to the room so the mice i teach them where objects are and then i i do another test to go hey do you remember which one's the old object that's in the same place that I had it before? Or do you have the object, to, uh, you know, do you remember the object that is now in a new location that I, that I didn't, you've never been exposed to it before? So there's different modalities. You can't compare directly the, the experiments, but you can say up or down. And I'm, I mean, when I started, I was interested in like doing the exact same thing in the flies and the mice, because this is the benefit of these models. Why am I using flies and mice? I mean, why not like a, a, a chinchilla, and a caterpillar, you know, like why not those animals? I I mean, I guess experiments can be done on those animals, but mice and flies are known around the world as really valuable genetic uh, models. You can genetically manipulate. There are hundreds and hundreds of tools. So literally I can order off the shelf. I can find a website and order um, a genetically modified fly and they will ship it to me for like 10 bucks. And for like a hundred or a couple hundred bucks, I can order from another database a genetically modified mouse. So I did that. I did that. I ordered these and they kind of plug together like Lego pieces. So um, these, everybody has access to the Lego pieces, but no one's put them together in the pattern that I have. So I ordered two Lego pieces to put together and modify lactate production in the flies. And then I ordered two Lego pieces for the mice to modify lactate in the mice in the same direction.
1: When you say modify lactate, what do you mean?
2: I mean modifying the production of lactate. So, I've, there's there's a, there's a, remember we said there's different organic molecules. One of them was proteins. A lot of these proteins do all the functional work that cells need to do, including breaking, cutting things apart, breaking them, manipulating their shape. So, one of those steps in the sugar breakdown that I was talking about is um, when a, one of the, a protein called an enzyme uh, converts that like one of the products it's like a series of steps so it says like eight steps I don't know how many steps there are but you break down the sugar one of those steps takes uh, a, a metabolite called pyruvate and converts it to lactate it's this step this final step that's like the most important for production of lactate that has an enzyme called lactate dehydrogenase that I manipulate and so I increased it in the brain of flies, and I increased it in the brain of of mice. And then I could technically compare, I mean.
1: So these are like animals that are producing more lactate than their peers.
2: (laughs) Yes, and and nominally they should. We don't know to what extent they, 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 uh, they adapt. So there's always caveats. I mean, if people are bored of me saying, Hey, I did all these things, but I'm never giving any like strict answers. Like, is lactate involved in aging? Maybe. <laughs> did you increase lactate? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I I measured I measured um, lactate in the brain of my mice using, uh, in collaboration with uh, Robert artha uh, at the uh robarts imaging center here the westerns really well known for their imaging and they have like a uh magnetic resonance imaging machine mri people probably heard of it you know medically a lot of people go in them we have a special one for rodents you can put the mouse in there and look at its brain without killing it while it's alive where how much lactate there is in a particular area and we looked and we saw there was more so i i can say that my mice have higher lactate but i Um, I haven't uh, actually wait I didn't measure lactate I I also collaborated with a lab in Indiana I decapitated a bunch of my flies and I sent the heads over to them and said hey tell me if there's any more lactate in there and some of my flies that I had manipulated had more had more so the ones that I induced there also had higher lactate so it just there's a little bit more nuance as to like well not not all uh, all your cells are not the same there's different cell types in the brain um and 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 i a part a big part of my project was not just increasing lactate production by increasing this like last enzyme that produces lactate but also uh restricting it to just one cell type or the other now both the methods that i just described collaboration here at robarts collaboration in indiana uh uh to do to measure the to measure the flies it wasn't specific to a cell type. So I'm looking at the global so like it's kind of it's kinda of weird. I'm look I'm manipulating cells specifically, but then I'm looking at the whole brain. So it's even if I don't see an increase in lactate, it's hard to say whether it wasn't increased locally on like a smaller scale that I wasn't able to measure with the methods that I used. I believe in a couple of circumstances, although there's many contexts in which I increased um, lactate production or nominally increased increase lactate production, I have confirmed it in mice and in flies. So, potentially, yes, in a couple conditions.
1: Okay, that's excellent. So, we now know that you have animals that might produce higher amounts of lactate. How are they behaving? How are they aging? Are you noticing any differences? Because I know it depends, and I know this is a more complicated question that than we can answer probably in five years maybe it'll be a lot of time but uh, I feel like probably you have some uh, first idea or first hypothesis of what must what might be going on there
2: yeah um, I can say definitively uh, the flies didn't handle it very well (laughs) (laughs) they died precipitously when I increased lactate production Um, and uh, you know were they
1: acting crazy or were they just like dying?
2: Um, uh, some of them uh, were were worse at a, at a task that measures locomotor ability. So I just said, hey, you know, if I take the flies in a tube and I tap it down, uh, how how readily do they uh, climb the walls to go up? And this is something they just do innately. If you, know, if you had any fly in a tube, you knock it down, it's going to fly up. Um, they They did a little bit worse at that. Uh, but the main thing was their their memory was worse in other circumstances as well. So there was a kind of a, a an association between they were dying more and then their memory was worse. And I'm I'm just writing up that paper right now, <laughs> so uh, so that's you know results to be to become soon. Uh, in the in the mice, I, I did age them across like quite a long time. Um, we went up to like 18 months, um, and I didn't see any. Like I mean, we didn't have enough animals to say for sure, but I didn't see a lot of them dying. You know, they they didn't respond as as readily as the the mice did. So I don't think that they were as negatively impacted. But there's a caveat. The caveat is mice have a backup. (laughs) They've got another way of producing lactate, like a second gene for this, whereas flies only have one. So I think there's some sort of regulation that's a little bit different in the flies and the mice. um, That means the mice were able to, like, kind of cope with the increased lactate that they were producing over the course of their life, whereas um, the flies were not.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, like. I wanted to ask you how you dealt with the frustration of realizing that uh, your question was bigger than you expected, because I feel like that's something that happens to many PhD students, it's happening to me also, and I'm like, wow, I probably won't be able to solve my question. This was harder than I thought. And you realize that you have, like, entire systems and so many variables that you couldn't control. And I think that's so beautiful about science and biology in general. Like, we won't be able to explain everything in an equation because life is complicated and beautiful. So uh, I'm wondering how did you deal with all of those, uh, like, variables and outcomes that you didn't control or that you were not expecting?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, as much, as much as you you come in to your graduate degree, and if you're doing a research-based degree like I am, and, and you've got a bunch of experiments and hypotheses, and you're like, this is going to be great, and I'm going to solve it, and if I find something, it's going to be really cool. It's going to be really impactful. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to f- discover things. It's going to be phenomenal. And then you like instantly fail. You instantly find out no, the method isn't really going to work the way I wanted to do it. And actually, I like half of the control groups. I just like, can't do. We don't even have the money to do it. And then, oh, actually, this like uh, you know, this this um, model doesn't really necessarily answer what I thought it would do. So it'll I'll apply it to something else. And <laughs> and you always have to like kind of caveat it. So, um, I would say, you know, stepping away from the specifics of like what went wrong. Along the way, P.S. a lot, a lot went wrong <laughs> uh, in 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 these in these projects. In my project, um, I think the take home message really for anybody who's going to be doing like work like this is you need to be perseverant. Um, and I I thought that I was persevering through a lot of adversity, like difficulty getting into grad school, but it was like nothing compared to what you actually face in grad school alone. <laughs> so so. Um, expect expect that you know you're not necessarily going to find something Nobel Prize worthy Um, expect that your experiment may not work and that you're going to have to add a thousand caveats to the end of your results and you you may not you may not um, have a full um, story at the end of it you may have like a partial story I think that like um, my results from my studies were interesting and um, You know, informative for the the field, um, but they're not finished uh, at all. (laughs) I haven't like solidified and closed the loop on anything really. Um, So I need to come to terms with that, and I need to come. You need to come to terms with like uh, micro failures. Uh, I call them. I I would call them micro failures because none in of themselves are like end of the world, Um, and that should also be understood. So um, the one, how do you deal with it? Persevere. Persevere through it. That doesn't mean uh, necessarily that you have to grit your teeth while you're, like, stabbed in the chest over and over. What it means is um, tailor, taper your expectations. Aim. Keep aiming high. Everyone aim as high as you can. I'm, I'm aiming high. I'm, I want to be a professor one day. I think the, the jobs are few and far between. It's, like, a really competitive market, and I don't have, like, 17 – Papers underneath my my belt, like a lot of a lot of people do, but I'm going to aim for that because that's the kind of you know work that I want to do. So I'm going to aim high, but my but my expectations are that it's going to be a real struggle and I might not make it. So I've got like alternative paths and and I'm going to find solace in wherever wherever I go, uh, and so that that keeps me sane and allows me to persevere through it and still kind of succeed at the things that I begin and not like be set back so much. That, uh, like, my life is ruined.
1: Also, uh, knowledge is a construction that it's like step by step. It's not like there's one person solving everyone's problem. It's like you build a little bit, so the next person comes, they retake what you did, and they keep building over it. If you do, if you, like, good science and like good knowledge in general, I feel like it's when you do it uh, rigorously enough for others to take on, on, on it like, and they can understand and reproduce what you did and can continue working on it, uh, but not necessarily having an answer because usually that's not how it works.
0: Well yeah, research doesn't exist in a vacuum. You create some of the questions that maybe future Ariel will answer or maybe somebody else, baby new Ariel, <laughs> will answer. <laughs> Yeah, what mean, a beautiful thing! A new scholar will take up what you what you brought up, a new problem that you found.
2: I mean, isn't it, isn't it weird to think that like maybe the person who leverages the the, the you know the the findings that I'm I'm making now um, to, to to discover something even more important and more fundamental uh, maybe isn't even born yet? <laughs> they don't even exist. <laughs> it's yeah. possible.
1: Yeah, that's. Completely possible. And that's the other thing I wanted to say. Like, I don't know if this is too cheesy and maybe we'll cut this out, but if you like if you have to send a message to Ariel in the future that is listening to this podcast, (laughs) and it's kind of like, Hey, how was my experience during my PhD? Like why will you say that like you take home from like these five or six years that you've been working on trying to understand ageing it started in Alzheimer's and you ended up working on aging and lactate. So what what's your... So
2: this is this is me speaking now to my future self?
1: Yes. Telling I mean, you about I your think experience. my future
2: self's gonna have it in the bag and be like laughing at any <laughs> pathetic <laughs> advice that, that I my, my, my past self or might, might no. give. Or maybe Maybe
0: uh, you're wiser than you think. <laughs> you're gonna discover the cure for aging and you'll be uh, living eternally and laughing at yourself in the past being like... <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean I I'd say uh uh to my future self, um, um I don't uh I'm not upset. Whatever whatever you whatever you chose, I'm sure it was great. And uh I, I'm not gonna hold it against you.
1: <laughs> you trust yourself. <laughs> yeah, trust That's fully great. trust. I mean I hope
2: I hope most people trust themselves. I don't <laughs> trust myself. Uh.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you future Laura Laura, I hope you survive, but I don't know how you did it. Oh, well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I think we all need to tell ourselves that as PhD students, is that that, that, that this is the right thing and that you, you got to, you know, you got to make it through.
1: And trust the process. Trust the process.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably like, trust the process is probably like a good place to drop
1: it. I just want to say, Ariel, thank you very much for being our chair for so long. You guys have fun experience and I'm Hoping the best for your future. <laughs> yeah, we're going to miss so you. Much. Yeah, <laughs> stick gonna... around as long as possible, please. Please.
2: Yeah, no. Um, for those interested, I'm still going to be on the podcast yeah. uh, as a host for a little bit longer, uh, and then and then I will fade. You are into our the <laughs> <laughs> into the void. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'll still be around.
0: Okay, Ariel. So we're almost done with time. I feel like I am cutting you off, but I'm curious, like. To follow your next steps and to kind of like see where you go, because I mean, again, Laura said it's bittersweet. Um, we we're losing our time with you soon, so where can we find you if we want to follow along with your journey? Do you have any social media?
2: Um, yeah, I do. I'm I'm on Twitter uh, irregularly. I would say, <laughs> um, just. At Ariel Frame on Twitter, and uh, I I'm interested in science communication. I mean, that's why I'm on the, that's why I participate in this podcast. You know, so I will you know post and retweet a few things here and there. But I don't, I don't know. I'm not I'm not I don't engage as much as some people do. You know, some people tweet all the time. But I think you can find me there at Ariel Frame. And then um, you know, if you look me up on. Ah, uh, Google Scholar, PubMed, ResearchGate, any of those places, then you'll be able to find some of the few publications that I've had out.
0: Yeah, especially when you're talking about writing up an article right now. We want to see the results. Hello, I don't know how to read it, but because I don't know how to read, just get. <laughs> <laughs> but but we want to see what we want to see what you publish. So this is good. Okay, so with that, this has been GradCast, guys. This feels really bittersweet to say this, and also it's also kind of nice because we're also in the studio. <laughs> So this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Brittany Melton, and my co-host was Laura Munoz Bayana. We've been speaking with Ariel Frame, and this episode was produced by Laura Munoz Bayana. If you'd like to get involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western ninety-four point nine FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at GradCast.ca or on our pod- or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at GradCast Radio. Thank you for listening. Have a good night.